High in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground immortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from the Ephesatious Novena of a biblical prayer to the Mother of God, the Hail Mary. O Immaculate Mary, Virgin Most Powerful, I beseech you, through the immense power which you have received from the Eternal Father, obtain for me purity of heart, strength to overcome all the enemies of my soul. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are you among the women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and in the hour of our death. Beginning with Mary's unique cooperation with the working of the Holy Spirit, the Church has developed the prayer to the Holy Mother of God, centering it on the person of Christ manifested in his mysteries. The Hail Mary prayer evolved out of Scripture as well as the lived reflection of the Church in the centuries that followed. Its popularity is a testament to the continuing appeal of Mary as a helper and guide. If we want a heavenly intercessor on our side, who is better than Mary, the mother of God, who has a personal interest in seeing her son's work continue. My guest today is Stacia Burton, a close personal friend of mine. She has allowed me to hold her invisible hand as I've weathered some of the storms in my life. Starchild, I want you to go ahead and share what you have here. Oh, goodness, that's beautiful. I'm feeling a little teary and touched. That was a beautiful prayer. And I would like to add to it one that my father taught me. It's very short and concise, and it sure comes in handy. Come, Holy Ghost, come into our hearts and take up thy rest. I love it. I love it. Station, I have been friends for half of our lifespan, <laughs> and we share a spiritual communion. We are both motherless daughters. And we be- both became motherless daughters as very small children. So Stacia has always added to my spiritual library, and in fact, one of her gifts from 15 years back was a book in the mail written by Hope Edelman called Motherless Daughters. Uh, This book, it circles around the commonality that those of us whose mothers have passed away, we live differently in this world. We're just no longer anchored by the comforting knowledge that the one person who has known us before we knew ourselves, is no longer here. Stacia, my darling, what can you share about this? I absolutely agree, Elizabeth. My closest friends on this planet are motherless daughters, and we have also joined the um, circle of fatherless daughters as well recently and share this in common. And Elizabeth has been tremendously supportive for me during my transition, which happened a few years ago, and um, was able to, I have the privilege of living in the same state with Elizabeth, so when her father passed last, you know, last autumn, um, I hightailed it up to Portland and uh, showed my support. I'm really feeling teary because, um, uh, well, when you touch on grief, sometimes this happens. Yeah, it's real stuff, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, we're talking about our common bond. I mean, another link we have is we're both adult orphans. I think when yes, we were it's children. It's difficult, I think, for people to touch upon the depth of this loss unless they've lost it themselves because it's something that 
people don't really want to consider until it happens to them and then um, it's happening, you know? <laughs> yeah, and we were caring for our fathers as the main caregiver. And then yeah. our fathers both passed away in very short order of each other. And I use the term adult orphan. And um, Stacia and I were heading to a green burial last summer. She was in the van with me, and we were out of Coltis area. We were going through these gorgeous turns through this reservoir. And I remember going down this hill and saying to her, you know, we're now both adult orphans. And your response was, ugh, don't even go there. Something about that orphan thing. It works for me, but doesn't work for you, right? Right. I um, had the... <laughs> challenging experience of having my father's sister say to me after my father passed, now you're all alone because I also happen to be an only child. And um, that was so heavy for me that I just, uh, I was really forced and deeply prompted to reframe it differently. And recently, um, my aunt lost her other sister, so now she's the only one. I didn't go there with her, though. I said, um, you know, that I have made the decision to make everyone family. It's either I have no family or everyone's my family. So whether you like it or not, you're in my family. <laughs> yeah, I think that when there's that primal connection that's cut off, you just sort of drift alone in the world that's sort of strange. And then you do find spiritual families as you go along the path and the journey. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I just was out this afternoon that we've had a lot of snow here in central Oregon and I had some cabin fever so I walked over the bridge and I had the um, blessing of attending a cafe that's family run and owned and I felt like family there and um, just sitting at the counter you know it, I did feel like my grandmother's kitchen and so I do make it a point to see family wherever I can. I also find, too, I think that I um, smell family where I can. I know that sounds silly, but whenever I smell Love's Baby Soft perfume from the 70s, I get these instant flashes back to memories of my mom. And the thing about it, though, I was so young when she died, I can't remember if these flashes are real or not. And I think my mother wore that perfume all the time, but I don't know. Just something about the just warm embrace of that cologne I she comes full circle to me and do you have moments like that where you're just not quite oh, sure if as a child oh. you're making this up because you were you were just so you were tiny tiny when your mom died I as I understand I was four and you were eight yeah okay so um right now I have a vase of my mother's on my altar and um I her necklace hanging on the uh this. I'll just call it this. It's, it's a good visual for radio. Yeah, this. Well, it's a, a, a stuffed animal deer head, so I didn't want to give you the wrong impression. That <laughs> That's more descriptive than I even thought. That's great. <laughs> right. Um, just to put the visual, well, I feel that she hangs around with me a lot, and that's the message I tend to give people who have lost a loved one is, um, you know, once you go through the initial grieving stages um, and start to enter the healing process, I feel that the loved one becomes more available in ways. And I recently had a dream where um, my aunt had passed on my mother's side, and I hugged my cousin Mary, and I said, um, you're never going to be the same again. And that dream really stuck with me because I think that this is something that we have to accept, ultimately, the final stage of grief is acceptance. And you know, truthfully, I feel, you know, it's been 
you know, 40-some years since my mom passed, and I feel that I'm just now moving into stages of acceptance, and strangely, you know how God works in mysterious ways, one prompt to my healing has been the recent loss of a dear friend who was like a mother to me, and I'm a very deep spiritual connection, and I feel I was feeling her presence this morning, and I can feel her smiling upon me in a way that helps me to understand that my mother is also smiling upon me because I got a little uh, locked up in the anger part of the grief process, and I felt gypped for a while, and I feel that God comes to me through my dreams, and recently enough, um, I was told to stop feeling sorry for myself, and uh, you know, the truth hurts sort of thing, and I woke up feeling a little stunned, but the more that I looked at how that message applied to my present life experience, I could see that, you know, I was, you know, wallowing in it a little bit, and that that doesn't get us anywhere, but, you know, the stages of grief are unique for everyone, but I, I find that that standard, it, you know, you, you probably are more familiar with this than I am the actual stages. Well, also losing a mom, that's the ultimate act of growing up. There's this maturation that is forced upon you, and you have to adapt to it. And I think that we know that we become grown up because there's really no one left to take care of us there besides God. You grow up and you don't survive. I feel that it alienates us or isolates us a little bit. And that was kind of where my anger got prolonged, because nobody could ever take her place, and people would try to varying degrees to step into that role. I've had a stepmother, and that didn't work out. And, you know, it just, nobody can be there the way your mom can. And I know that. And, you know, so I've, I've struggled with being mad at God. And um, it was at my Uncle Jimmy's funeral that the priest mentioned that God can use us to help others in their grief. And that was the first time that I... I started to snap out of it. I was like, oh, wow, it's not just a poor me pity party that I can, that God can use me to comfort others in their grief because we've done this for each other, because we understand the depth and the need for tenderness when someone is suffering is very paramount. It is. Yeah, it is. Just to have somebody, again, that invisible hand to hold yours that knows you know, something can relate to what you're going through rather than say, oh, well, things will get better. Um, I think that whenever there's a breakup, it's like there's always other fish in the sea. And well, no, you know, yeah. when mom dying, yeah. it's yeah, kind of unique. Right, definitely. And I remember one of the hardest things anybody ever said to me when, you know, her an- the anniversary of her passing would roll around and it, it would get me and get me good. And I remember this guy saying to me once, when are you going to get over it? And, you know, that's really, you know, <laughs> I highly recommend not saying that to someone who's in a grief process because the process is very unique to each person. And, um, you know, it's deep and it's not something you can just, I remember once you were going through a breakup and you you were feeling a lot of tears and um, someone said to you, smile. And it's it's not always that easy. It's not something you can just turn off with a switch. No. There isn't, and especially when you're doing things like moving on and looking for a mother other places. There's this children's book. It's called Are You My Mother? And it's about a bird who falls out of a nest going in search of a mom. And I know that the bird asks many animals 
and asks along the way, are you my mother? And eventually the mother bird and the baby, they're reunited after this long search. So that one's happy. But unlike the mother bird in the book, I mean, the mother doesn't always return to the motherless daughter. And the daughter sort of goes on in search of a mother. And I found I was always looking for the mother figure. And how I really did that the most was when I dated a boy, I really didn't date him unless his mother liked me. And even mm-hmm. one step further, I had, you know, a really disastrous engagement of getting married and he was the wrong guy years ago, but I didn't want to break up with him because the one thing that kept me in the relationship was I didn't want to break up with his mother. And so that's where motherless daughters can get stuck too, because you find that person to fill the mother void. And sometimes they're really not your mother to have. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that Perhaps for us so-called motherless daughters, the breakups can be even harder because we lose the family too. again, you know, like we lose the mother again. And I totally relate to this. I want to read you the inscription inside the book you sent me 15 years ago. I have it here in my hot little hands, and it's your gorgeous, flowy writing. Um, It's hard to decipher sometimes because you write with this amazing Holy Spirit that just goes. It says, Dear Light, This book's topic may stir things up a bit, but my mother in love gave it to me after reading it, but I read it already, so I'm passing it on like a hot potato. In faith in God's happy heart, Star Child. And I love that. And that makes me smile. Yeah. It makes me smile, too. Yeah, I've kept every book you've ever given me. And I also love the fact that here you are discussing your mother-in-law, and you called her your mother-in-love. That is so yes. telling of your personality. Yes, and I, I miss her. We, we're, you know, separated, so to speak. And um, I just recently sent the family a postcard because she really, you know, she couldn't be my mother, but she, she's a very kind person, and we enjoyed, um, we like to cross-country ski in the woods, and that was like our spiritual experience. We'd have the dogs running beside us. and um, Yeah, so, yes. Yes, yes, my, my mother-in-law. And so because of you, I call my mother-in-law my mother-in-law. I even go further to call my sister-in-law and my oh, brother-in-law. Yeah. My brother-in-law, yeah. yeah, he's told me straight out, you're a dork. You know, so bad. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, the, the mom and the sister, they like it. He says, yeah, you know, just just call me Jason. So, you know, I'm working <laughs> through it. I'm working. well enough to know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> They're from New Jersey. They're like, that's, that's yeah, nonsensical. Yeah. So, you know, that's all right. Yes. So when I got this book from you years back, I flipped through it, and the very first page that I saw spoke to me so vividly. It was about a woman who said she was walking across the street, and she was in the crosswalk, and she stops mid-cross in the crosswalk and just freezes, and everybody's passing by her, and she just wants to sort of cower and just start crying, and she wants to scream, don't you know my mother just died? I can't just cross this street. I'm stuck in this. And I find parental death sometimes is so isolating. And you and I, having someone pass a mommy so young, you know, you go through life, and most people have their mothers, which is strange to others who don't have moms. And then older you and I taking care of dads and going through all of that, where it's really isolating being by the bed and taking care of them and doing what they need to do. And then when they pass, there's that realization of, wow, I guess now I'm the matriarch in the family. It's funky, isn't it? It really is. And I vividly remember shortly after my father passed, I was at the supermarket and 
I suddenly became very disoriented, like the woman in the crosswalk, and I started crying, and I said, I just don't know how to do this. My father just passed, and a lot of my shopping was for him, and passing the apple juice and the things that I would insure, the things that I would pick up for him, which were no longer necessary. And thankfully, it was a very um, friendly neighborhood market, and so people were very kind to me in that moment because I just remember feeling like, I don't know how to do this anymore. And that's since passed, but there was a tremendous disorientation to that, for sure. Yeah, we have those stories. I was in the neighborhood Safeway, and the pharmacist said, oh, yeah, come on over. Just give me 10 minutes. I'll refill your father's medication. And I, oh, and I, 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 I kind of felt like, well, cool, okay, because that gives me a chance to pick up my dad's medication because that way I sort of can pretend like he's still with me. But I had a funny oh, look wow. on my face, and the pharmacist said, are you here for refills? And I kind of said, oh. and I mean, it's hard to blurt out, my dad died. Just like when I was a kid and people would call, I'd be a little kid, I'd answer the phone. And they would say, can I speak to the lady of the house? And oh. sometimes I would just say, oh, my mom died. And, you know, <laughs> no one knows. A telemarketer wasn't trained how to react to a kid saying that, just, you know, straightforward. But um, it is weird because you see everybody else smiling and on their phones and doing all these things. And you're stuck in this gray fog because your life stop. But guess what? That hands on the clock, they just keep ticking. And widows tell me this all the time. How can I just sort of go on with my life and make plans to go see that movie? My, my husband's not here. So I, I we all, d- grief, death, there are stages of it. But when you're going through it, you're so alone. You know, I refer to this a lot there's an African-American teacher who does a grief healing workshop, and I've just heard about it vicariously. Everyone stands in a circle around an outside fire, and when a person is ready to let go of their grief, they choose a friend to hold their hand and walk up to the fire. And I am so firmly convinced that grief cannot be healed in the isolation that it seems to impose on us. And just this past Sunday, Eddie and I were out watching some golf, and this woman appeared at the bar out of nowhere and started telling me that she just lost her grandson. And I, I offered her my number. I was like, I, I really feel that. Well, I, I guess by God's grace, I feel that I have certain insights in how to navigate grief at this point because it has been such a continuous companion in my life. And so I've had to learn how to navigate it in order to get out of bed in the morning because it is it, it can be very crippling. But when it comes right down to it, it's not something that can be healed alone. And just being able to show up for this woman and she, you know, said that she'd lost, you know, sisters, parents, this and that, but the hardest loss she's ever experienced, she said, she didn't know grief. She, she has never known a grief like this grief. And I was just able to be present with her and to listen to what she was saying instead of shying away. Because at this point, it's like, you know, grief has been such a constant companion that it's something I'm, I enjoy conversing about because it helps me to realize that we're in this together. Like you said in the introduction, we are all in this together. I also think that that's a God-given gift you have. I think that you have this spiritual gift, and I would actually go as far to call it your blue flame. 
Do you know, do you know, have you heard of blue flame before? No. So it's this passion that ignites a fire within, and it's something that we do, and ultimately it's sort of a spiritual gift. It allows us to feel energized and inspired, makes us feel like our love tank is full. And I find that you helping people, you know, God puts you in that position. That woman just came to you and just knew that you were that vessel that she could receive nourishment through and talk to. And I really find that you have this almighty calling when it comes to that, that you give back to others and it gives back to your life and feeds you as well. It's it's interesting. It's it's a um, you know real dual gift in that it heals me to come out of isolation. And furthermore, this woman said, you know, she had been having a really hard time getting out of bed, and her husband was like, "Come on, we're going to go out for lunch." And da da da. And when we connected, she said, "I came out for a reason." And I loved hearing that, and I, I was just a little, you know, I really wanted to give her my number and be like, call me when you need a friend, but it's interesting because I, there's a self-imposed isolation that happens in grief. Like, it's almost like we want to keep it to ourselves a little bit. Like, when I just lost my dear friend, um, Diane, her daughter really wanted to be alone in the grief, and that threw me for a loop because... When I was going through it, I would have loved if people would have reached out to me and touched me in that place where I felt that stinging, burning, aching loss. But everybody shied away from it, and so it became, it, it went underground and became problematic later in life. Like, initially, I was told I was strong and da-da-da, and I was told for a year after my mom passed, I didn't smile. I just, I was so stunned. And then they just kept telling me I was strong, so I didn't cry. And then later on, there were repercussions about not crying. And when my friend Diane passed, I I wept and screamed and cried for weeks. And I was inconsolable, and thankfully my partner was able to, you know, walk around the edges of that. Like, he wanted me to get over it quick as much as anyone, but it was a process. And in that process of opening up, to the grief, expressing the grief, allowing the grief to be my primary experience. And now I feel that I'm on the other side of something. And I've learned a lot. I feel closer to my mother. I feel stronger and um, more able to comfort others, which ultimately, as you're saying, is it, it fills my love tank. <laughs> yeah, it fills your love tank. And we have a few minutes left. So let's switch it up to something fun. Because I, I, I always love to laugh with you. And you just you make me smile. You're infectious, your laughter. So I was watching a documentary the other day called California Typewriter. And it stars Tom Hanks. And you should watch this documentary if you haven't seen it. It came out a couple years ago. And he's this actor and filmmaker. I think we all know him. But he's been collecting vintage typewriters since 1978. And he loves these things. He finds them. He repairs them. He shares the blissful experience with anyone who will listen to it. He loves the clack, clack, clack sound. He types all his thank you notes on it. And this is a lifestyle for him. And I guess you kind of would say maybe a blue flame, right? It's a blue flame lifestyle. It gives him energy. It empowers him to seize the day. He gets so excited about it. And it might not sound like our concept of a spiritual gift, but hey, who are we to judge? So tell me something just off the cuff here. What other gift do you have that God's given you, big or small, that you think really empowers you to go out and seize your day? Writing, definitely. I asked God when I was 
state what my vocation is in God's writing, and I feel that God writes through me, to me, through me, to others. I love to drop little notes in the mail, just let people know I'm thinking of them. And Yes, you um, do. Yes. <laughs> and, and the letter writing is not a lost art, but it, it, that's something I love doing. You also draw on, on the envelopes that you send to people. You do the handwritten letter and the handwritten envelope, and you always draw some sort of a, a star. And, I mean, Star Child is the nickname I've had for you forever because you're just ethereal and you are just um, of the stars, written in the stars and about the stars. And you draw a lot on the envelopes. And I've got to say, that brings so much joy. I really hope that the person who's getting the letters out of the mailbox the letter carriers, people processing this are smiling and they're just shaking their head and saying, what a nut that this person would take this time and do it. I mean, you just seize the day, right? We love it. Yes. Add a little color. Yeah. Add a color. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I do think of that when I'm addressing the envelopes that I hope the post person smiles as well. Yeah. And I think that's important for people to know that even though you have the parent who will die, then the secondary parent will die. Well, guess what? We made it out the other side, right? And we've survived. And blue flames are alive, and stars on envelopes are alive, and laughter, and all of these things. And I, I do feel that we're a product of our ancestors. I think of my ancestors a lot, and I feel that I'm standing on their shoulders, that they have promoted my opportunity to be here now, to be me. A funny question I have for you. I have friends who are in their 50s and 60s, and they say that um, they have no idea how they're going to deal with it when their mother passes away because it's their best friend. They call her on the phone every day. They get all her advice, and one day they're not going to be there anymore, and they're dreading this. And sometimes I'm not smug about it, but sometimes I think, wow, I really dodged a bullet. I already went through that, so I'm never going to have to know the pain of losing a best friend or a mom or somebody that I call every day like that. Do you ever feel that, too, by being four years old and kind of getting that out of your life, so to speak? I that... do. I do. I've, seen, I've said that out loud. I was talking with a friend yeah. recently that lost both parents, and I said <laughs> at least we got that over with. <laughs> My brother will say, wow, I, I've been talking to this person, and there's all these health care issues, and there was all these things, oh. and oh my gosh. And I'll say, well, yeah, you know, it's their turn now. We had our turn. Now they're having their turn. And it is a really weird thing. But I, I don't know if the better answer is, is it easier to lose a parent as a small child? Because you don't have them for your whole life. They're not there at the wedding or they're not there at your high school graduation or when you do miraculous when fun things. Yeah, yeah, or when you just do something really neat in the world that you want to call mm -hmm. them up and know that they're proud of you. You miss those opportunities to hear, I'm proud of you. I love you. Mm -hmm. You miss that. But on the other hand, you're not going through the depths of grief because you've had that mom for 70 years of your life. I think it's hard at any age. Yeah, I think so, too. I think there's mm -hmm. no good answer, right? Right. And I find that, you know, people who have been distanced from their parents have an easier time of it. But still, I feel that the earth turns differently when you lose a parent. It does. Star Child, Stacia, Burton, you're wonderful. I love you. Thank you for talking with me today. You've been listening to KKPZ, 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you to my guest, Stacia Burton. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.